0: Welcome to the whole person mindset. I am your host, Evan Herman. And today we are talking to Mitch Gray. He has combined over two decades of experience as a former pastor, life coach, entrepreneur, community developer, and a creator to develop a brand of leadership that is the deepest level within the human experience taking his heart for inspiring others, and his passion to empower leaders, Mitch creates the space needed to consider a new way of leading. Mitch is the creator and the host of the Mitch Gray Show podcast. Author and highly regarded speaker, Mitch's newest book is How to Hire and Keep Great People. And it is available in bookstores, everywhere, online. But today, we are going to be talking about how to be a valuable person. So Mitch, welcome to the show. How are
1: you? I'm awesome, Evan. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure, man. Well, let's just get right into it. What makes a person valuable to their employer, to their client, to their customer, to their spouse? Like we can go tons of different directions with this, yes, but what yes. makes them valuable and the mindset that that person has to have
1: yeah um it's interesting right when we think about going to jobs we think about the workplace we think about waking up every morning and oh my gosh i gotta be at the job at eight o'clock and check and out nowadays especially after the last 18 months it's like i gotta make sure i clock in remotely and i show up for that eight o'clock meeting and i think um you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge to working and to jobs and to um, showing up every day as your best self is really aligning yourself with something that you actually enjoy. And I'm sure you can think about it. I can think about jobs that I've done. We talk to people all the time or people are living it now. It's like, you kind of took that job because we do have to pay bills. Uh, right. I called the electric company once to ask them if they take I'm sorry, it's this currency and they don't, they take money. Right. And so it's like, we have to do this stuff because money kind of makes the world go round per se and the day and time we live. And so, you know, when you we know talk who about Zig is, yeah, Zig Ziglar. Yes. Now, one of the things
0: he said, the three most important relationships in life, your relationship with God is number one. Your relationship with oxygen is number two in terms mm-hmm. of survival and your relationship with money is number three. Yeah, three main things you need to survive.
1: Yeah, and when you think about when you think about those things, and of course Zig Ziglar was amazing for people that don't know who he who who he was. But you think about those elements, and you think about mindset. And your question was, what makes a person a valuable person when they show up every day? Number one, it's showing up, (laughs) and number two, you know, I always tell people, uh, leaders especially, you want a team of entrepreneurial thinkers. And what I mean by that is you want people that are independent thinkers. You want people that value their time, time, your time as, as, a, as an owner, a manager, a boss, and you want people that value uh, work ethic and creativity. And I just believe in the principle that the more you can empower people to be independent thinkers, and as an employee, for those that are listening that are employees, as an employee, the more you can walk in the door as an independent entrepreneurial type thinker, you're actually a greater asset to the workplace because you're not going to have to be, you know, they're, they're not, not going to have to babysit you. They're not going to have to make sure that you're on task. They're not going to have to make sure. And so when we relate mindset to the workplace, I really believe that the key is independence. Can I work in a way that my boss doesn't have to constantly check on me. Can I work in a way that I'm constantly bringing ideas to the table? Can I work in a way that I'm not waiting on a promotion, but I'm instead initiating a promotion by doing everything in my power to make my company the best it can be. And I think every great leader now, the kicker to that is not everyone in leadership is a great leader. And so when they have a team of independent thinkers, it makes them really, really insecure, right? And what I would tell employees in that situation, if you work for someone who is that insecure leader, then you probably need to start working yourself out of a position and find somewhere else that you better align. Because there are some amazing companies out there that they want independent entrepreneurs. And I think that's even more valuable in today's culture with all of the virtual and remote work. I think it's even more valuable that people understand. I'm really my own CEO, even if I'm the janitor, I'm my own. I'm the CEO of my life. And to live from that mindset, it it really changes everything.
0: Yeah. You know, to quote Zig Ziglar again, he has these affirmations that he would read every day and I have it on my wall. And one of them is regardless of who signs my paycheck, I am self-employed.
1: Yes, Yes, 100%.
0: mindset of you work for yourself and if you don't show up, you're not getting paid. And so when we think of the mindset a person has to have to be a valuable asset to a company, to a client, to a customer, you're talking about the ability to be an independent thinker, an independent worker. But then also that goes to the ability to problem solve and to find solutions to things that people have questions to or issues with. And then that in and of itself will tend to make you more valuable. And so in, in the self-employed mode, like as me as a real estate agent or financial advisor, or someone who has a small house cleaning company and they're self-employed, you know, when you go down the route of being valuable to your client, what are some of the mindsets that you have to have in that scenario to, to be able to really show your worth?
1: Yeah. Number one, um, we're quoting people this morning. It seems (laughs) like, so I, I love Donald Miller's idea that the customer is the hero. The client is the hero. They're always the hero. You're because you're providing a solution to your customer slash client, that doesn't make you the hero. Um, what I like to call that is it simply makes you the facilitator of the customer becoming the hero. And so, you know, really that's the value add. The value add is not necessarily me selling you something or making sure you understand what I do. The value add is me trying to figure out how to make your life easier. How to help you discover the solution and how to help you um, live a better life. I mean, at it, it's, you know, in my bio, I always talk about that um, at, at, at its deepest level, leadership is about being human. And we often forget the humanity of all this. We often forget that life is bloody and messy and happy and fun and sorrow. I mean, it's filled with all this stuff. And you know, when I'm helping clients or customers, if I can put myself in their shoes and try and be empathetic toward their struggle, whatever that is, whether it's finding a house or hiring a new accountant or whatever, cleaning, um, it's really understanding that I need to walk into that, that situation knowing I'm going to make them feel like the hero. I'm not the hero. They're the hero. And so many, so many leaders and business owners and bosses, they want to march around like they're the ones that can fix everyone's problems. And um, that that's just a mistake. It's not sustainable, first of all. And second of all, you're gonna turn off a lot of people when you put yourself before the customer or client. And really back in the day, that was kind of the adage of the phrase the customer's always right. Yeah. You know, Donald Miller just repackaged it to where it doesn't sound as abrasive to a business person. <laughs> it's like, well, the customer can't always be right. And so Donald Miller goes, well, let's make them the hero of the story. Let's make them the focal point. And you know, that's really when that power and that, that mindset and attitude of empathy comes in
0: which really you know in a biblical perspective comes down to humility. Yeah, yeah. You know you you're a former pastor yeah. and you know the show is you know about mindset with a biblical perspective. I mean it yeah. it comes down to do you have the ability to to be humble and serve others?
1: Yeah, so the idea of um you know go back to the Jesus story of uh when when he took the time to together as disciples and and basically say, I'm going to show you what real servanthood is. And you know, for those that don't know the culture, I mean, back then it's like, there were no concrete roads or concrete sidewalks. You know, they basically lived in what we know now as the Middle East per se. And so everything was deserty and sandy, or even the mountainous areas were still rocky. And so he, he takes off their sandals and bends down and washes their feet. And regardless of, you know, where kind of people are on their perspective of that story, the moral of the story simply is that if the leader, you know, let's just shrink it down to just basic everyday life. If the, if the leader of your small group yeah. decides to wash everyone's messy feet, that's something. And then if you pull the perspective and go, well, you know, if you believe Jesus is a son of God, is this, you know, the the chosen one. For then, that, that perspective alone is like, whoa, what is happening right now? <laughs> and, um, and really, that, that's, that's what my granddad kind of always taught us, right? Is that it, it's be washers of feet, be servants of others, be empathetic, be compassionate. And that doesn't change when you put on a suit and tie and go into your business meeting. It shouldn't, at least.
0: Right. Well, and the other thing, too, within that culture, that was a job that a slave would do.
1: 100% yeah it still is it still is in that culture yeah. It still is I mean even even modern day and so yeah you're all of a sudden putting yourself you know as, as just from a leadership perspective he's putting himself in the position of a subservient person of a person that was probably not allowed to eat uh except in their probably their little bitty outcast room <laughs> I mean there were no privileges And so, yeah, to think about the idea of as a boss, a leader, a manager, a CEO, nonetheless, you know, savior of the world. We're not going to put ourselves in that position, but kind of we get the point for an emphatic thought is that, wow, to replace the subserving idea and put ourselves in that position for the people that are around us. And that servanthood mindset doesn't change if we're at home with our families, or if we're on the job, or if we're dealing with a client. And and when you walk into a when you walk into a situation with that mindset, that I'm here to serve people, I'm here to help people, um, it really changes the game. It changes the you know the it changes the input and the output of of what's taking place.
0: I don't know if you've heard of Dan Price. I, I was just pulling his information up mm-hmm. here. But Yeah,
1: he, Dan Price, uh, Seattle, Washington. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he, he's, a, he's a famous CEO whose story is he was walking by one of his uh, employees' desks and found another job application on it. And not that they were getting ready to leave his company, but they had to work two jobs to be able to provide for their family. It was like a single mother. And it broke his heart that his employees were not able to make enough to live in his company. Meanwhile, he's making millions as a CEO. Right. So what he did was he raised everyone's standard of pay up to a $70,000 minimum and then cut yes. his pay to also equal a $70,000 minimum. Yeah.
1: Yeah, kind of the epitome of what we're talking about, right? And the other moral of that story is he sold off... Um, I think about 50% of his stock shares in the company in order to create more, a, a more comfortable flow of capital, because they're, they're still a small company per se, I mean, compared to others. So there was a lot that took place and, you know, I, I follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn and I love, you know, I've engaged with him a few times and just his whole idea of, we don't simply have to do things the way everyone else is telling us we have to do it. And his other idea of it's great to make a lot of money and it's great to have, you know, comfortability. It's great to not have to stress about things. But what, where he saw that gap was as a CEO, he wasn't stressing. He was, you know, on his big boat out in the Mediterranean. I don't know. (laughs) He was doing all the stuff that big CEOs do. And, and then he saw that, you know, he saw that kind of lifelike story happened before his eyes another quick story about him in the same timeline that he saw that job application he also had another uh, employee come up to him and just blatantly tell him we think it's unfair that we're all struggling and the board members are making all this money and you're making all this money and so he He kind of had a couple of situations that he he had a decision to make all of a sudden, right? He's at a crossroads. Mm -hmm. And that crossroads is really the crossroads of convenience and comfort or compassion and empathy. And that's kind of what it boils down to is he could keep his convenient, comfortable lifestyle, or he could change that and live with compassion and empathy. And he'll still say he's you know, he's got more money because he has all of his ownership and his stocks and et cetera, et cetera. But um, but it's an interesting case of how do we walk with that compassion? How do we walk with that empathy? How do we really, disciples. yeah, it's, exa- it's exactly right. And it's, and it's not easy. I mean, we can talk about it on a podcast and talk like it's something easy, but <laughs> right. it's so in a way, you know, I don't really like the word counterculture because I think the whole culture is very perceptive, Yeah, but in a way it's kind of counter standard, to the status quo of how most people operate. Um, And I also want to say, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with good or evil or wrong or right in those scenarios. What I think it has to do with is, do I want to choose to be a person that has a mindset of compassion and empathy? Or do I want to be a choose to be a person that says, you know, I want my comfort and convenience over everything else. And, um, you know, and when that really hurts is let's take a CEO, a business owner. And they're living this lifestyle with comfort and convenience and their people are legitimately struggling. That's when we come into the moral clause of, you know, I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. That's almost indicative of slave owners, slaves in a way. We don't see it that way in our modern world. But when you look at the principle of it, it's like I have all these people that are working for me. They're legitimately struggling. They can't go to the doctor. They can't take their kids to the doctor because they can't afford it. Yet. I have five vacation homes and whatever, whatever. And not that we're negating that person for those choices, but at the same time, we have to kind of reconcile that and go, okay, but your people are legitimately struggling. Um, And I've seen that this last year, I had many business, business owners, many mention, well, we're really frustrated because people got paid with the pandemic unemployment more than they were getting paid working for us and they were frustrated because people weren't coming back to work. And my rebuttal was, that's actually an indictment on you. That you're paying people poverty wages that the government is willing to pay them more than you are in that scenario. Like that's an indictment and a reflection of you and your ownership and people didn't wanna deal with that, right? And so it's gonna take a real kind of shift you know, in, in, in kind of all of this to go, okay, we need to make sense of everything that's taking place.
0: Well, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. It also depends on the company size and their ability and their, the finance yeah. of the company, because not every company, especially small companies can, can match what the government's paying, you know?
1: Um, yeah. So my response to that, and I've had people ask about that, you know, it's because a lot of the people I deal with, are small business. I mean, you know, 15, 20, 30 people or less. And my rebuttal to that always is, well then it may be time for you to downscale rather than upscale. It may be time because there is this threshold and I've been there personally where you're growing and you need labor, you need a yeah. workforce in order to, to scale. The problem with that is you also have to be human. And so my, my plea to all those type business owners is, well then, then re-strategize how you're scaling your business. Um, if you're paying someone because you need a labor force because your business is growing, but you can't pay them enough that either you provide insurance or they can't afford insurance, but they're because I've seen it, but they make too much to get government-assisted insurance. And I've seen In that there. over and over. Then, then that's a problem. And so then, then the question becomes, okay, you need to hire a business planner that's not just going to tell you, here's how you're going to grow your business. Here's who to hire. You actually need to downscale for a second. And The other scenario in that that plays out that a lot of people don't want to talk about is oftentimes those owners are just owning the business and not actually active in the business. And so then my invitation to the owner is you may have to take the place of one or two of those employees personally, and you may have to go in and get your hands dirty and move into that. But, you know, we're talking about mindset and that's kind of the communal mindset that someone has to have to go, okay, how's this going to make sense? And I've actually... I've actually owned and grown two two companies that I chose to shut down because we were growing so quickly that A, I didn't want to get into debt. I was bootstrapping it myself, but I believed in not getting into, you know, half a million dollars in debt. And B, I knew I needed a large labor force, but I couldn't afford to pay them what I wanted to pay them. And so I made the decision morally to go, if I can't give these people what I know I want to give them then I'm not going to do it. And I'm also not going to work myself into a grave. And that's the other thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. They want to own a business, it's a great idea. Gary Vaynerchuk's telling them they need to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, yeah, I want to go do it, but to understand and count the cost of what that really looks like. And that's what we're talking about. So yeah, that's a great, I, I love that that throwback because that is a legitimate issue that a lot of people are dealing with. Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, and that's the mindset of ownership here whether you're an employee or a CEO, self-employed, you know, what you were just saying reminds me of Quick Trip as well, where even the CEO will spend at least two weeks in a store. Like all their, all major staff in corporate uh, Quick Trip outside of the stores has to spend two weeks in one store Mm -hmm. so that they don't forget what it's like in the store. Yes. And they're one yes. of the top places to work for. They're yeah. one of the fastest growing convenience stores and they are in my back door. <laughs> <laughs> right. um,
1: yeah. I was kind of spoiled. Um, in my early twenties, I, I had gone through seminary and, uh, the seminary I went to was, it was basically a four hour, a four, a four year degree in two years. So it was, Five days a week, wow. eight hours a day. I mean, and by the end of that, I was done. I was like, I gotta get away from this for a little bit. And so um, I had worked a retail job in high school and I really enjoyed it. So I thought, well, I'll go back and work retail, you know, I had a kid and another kid on the way. So I had to make money to provide for my family. So I actually latched on with a company called The Buckle. It's a high fashion retail company. Yep. And um, God, they they spoiled me, man, because company culture, I'd put them against anybody. Top to bottom, um, very similar, you know, their their CEO goes to work every day, um, travels and visits stores, their vice president spend most of their time traveling and visiting stores, their regional and district managers at that time, they've shifted a little bit since, but at that time, when I was there 20 years ago, their regional and district managers were also still running a store. And so you you never saw this gap or this miscommunication or this misunderstanding because they had their finger on the pulse of what was taking place every day. Um, and I really learned this mindset and this idea, and sure, their CEO, you know, is a millionaire multi times over, and their vice presidents, I'm sure, are millionaires multi times over. But the crazy thing was, um, and actually the the man that started the company, his son, uh, was still involved in the company at that time. And he would still go into stores and check things out and say hi to people. And this guy, he's he was one of those guys that um, you see him walking down the street and think he was homeless. I mean, he had this beard and always wore a white t-shirt and Levi's. He loved Levi's. And then maybe, you know, some weird shoes or whatever. And no telling how much money that guy had. And it's kind of that idea that we're you know I'm never railing against wealth because right well wealth is what can change the world right we said it in the beginning money kind of makes the world go round and so the more that I can access that resource the more people I can help and and so we're not we're not advocating against that but what we are advocating is that relatability and and that um that communication and that ability to walk in the room and someone go Wow, that person gets me, not knowing that they've got you know thirty million dollars in the bank, and you know that's what makes guys like Dan Price and even Gary Vaynerchuk and some of those kind of personalities that are out there now. It's what makes them still really relatable. Um, I mean, I see videos of Gary Vaynerchuk speaking at Fortune Five Hundred gigs, and what is he wearing? A beanie and his sweatshirt and his you know tight jeans. It's just, but it makes what so makes them you know super relatable. And and that you're right, that's the human level. And so well, to then, me, that's then you'll
0: see videos of him going to garage sales to buy stuff and flip online. <laughs> like and it's insane,
1: man. I mean, it's just like this dude is just having fun in life and enjoying it. Um, and what's crazy about him specifically is I've actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I've actually had the honor of interviewing a few of his um not partners, but kind of business cohort people, and then some of his employees. I've actually had the honor of having him on my podcast and they say he's the same. It, what you see is what he is. Um, and that's impressive. And that's another aspect of mindset, right? Is that that vulnerability that that's one thing I try and teach all the time to leaders is lead from your humanity. Don't lead from a position of power or perfection, but let people see that life isn't always amazing, you know, things happen. So,
0: yeah. yeah. And I, w- I would, so the couple things that we equated to that I'm taking notes on and, you know, stay relatable, be consistent in who you are. Yes. Whether yes. you're in Fortune 500 or you're talking to yeah. you and me on a podcast. Yeah. You know, when we look at being a valuable person in life, in business, what would being a valuable person in say relationship look like? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So again, it goes back to being, you know, kind of servant minded, you know, put, putting others before yourself in a, in a way, I I also teach a dichotomy to that is, and that is you also have to put yourself first when it comes to your health, when it comes yeah. to, you know, your mental, emotional, spiritual growth. Um, I kind of learned that the hard way in life. You know, I kind of just grew up in this idea that I'm going to give myself to others constantly because that's what we should do. The downside of that is when you constantly give to others and you don't find a way, whatever that way is for you to fill yourself, um, it it ends in a really damaging situation. You know, for me, that manifested as um, depression. You know, I, I still struggle with mental health and some of those things. Um, But a lot of that just came down to not taking care of myself and giving and giving and giving. And so one of the greatest values, and to me, the the most important piece of mindset when you're talking about relationships is learning to have a relationship with yourself first. Mm -hmm. For those of your listeners, you know, this is a Christian-based podcast, a relationship with, with God and whatever that looks like for them. But that also relates directly to a relationship with yourself and learning how to love yourself, learning how to give to yourself, learning how to set boundaries. You know, that's something that I think by nature we're all really terrible at (laughs) is, is setting those boundaries with work, with output, with friends, with influences, whatever. Right. Um, And so to me, when I'm looking at a relationship, it's like, okay, what am I bringing to the table? Because I have to be bringing something to the table. I can't just be stepping into a relationship or existing in a relationship and expecting that relationship to fill me up. Um, Interestingly enough, I think when you're talking about Christianity and a relationship with God, I think it's the same. Yeah. You know, I think far, far too often it's this expectation that we're going to get any, you you know, I mean, you talk about prayer life and meditation life and study. Oftentimes those are done from the motivation of receiving rather than giving. But the interesting thing about giving is when you give, you almost always receive something in return, normally more, more than what you expected to,
0: you know? So as we're talking about this again, you know, with mindset and this being biblically based, Literally, there's a scripture for this. It's yeah. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40. It's, teacher, which is the greatest two commandments of the law? Jesus replied, mm-hmm. love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first greatest commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can't love your neighbor right. unless right. you love yourself. And I'm talking about taking care of yourself and being valuable. You know, I can't be valuable to my family if I'm 200 pounds overweight. Like, I can be emotionally valuable and love. Like, so for example, I love my father-in-law. He's an amazing individual. Yeah. He is very sickly and he's been very sickly for over 20 years. He's um, he's practically bedridden all the time because of health choices that they he has made over his life.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and he hasn't taken care of himself, so that hinders his ability to show up mm-hmm. and be present in the family. He misses birthday parties. He misses Christmases. Um. He'll miss... Events. He's doing a lot better at trying to get out, but he he didn't show up for himself when he needed to, which right. made it harder for him to show up for the family when he needed it too. And yeah. I think in every area of our lives, we have those things. Like me yesterday, I I, I can't talk about health. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just downed a, you know an eight pack of Oreos, half a bag of Pringles, yeah. and like a soda. You know, yeah. I, I had a really bad craving and I just I gave into it and I didn't show up the way I should have for myself. And then I paid for it that night right. because my like my body does not absorb caffeine well, yeah. which led to anxiousness, anxiety, yeah. you know, higher heart rate, and I wasn't I wasn't able to hang out with my family because I was like needing to go lay down on a bed with a fan. Closing my eyes and like, you know, trying to calm my heart rate. Right. But I made that choice. I made the choice not to show up for myself and give in to my cravings. And so I say all that to say, like, in life, you know, we need, like you were saying, we need to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, we're able to have abundance for others. But the first part is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I and I would argue I would argue that that's even impossible to do until
0: you learn to love yourself. I don't know. I, I think I disagree because the more I know God, the more I'm able to love myself.
1: Yeah. So think about this. Um, and and by the way, I, I think we're, I think both both points are actually there's truth to them. Think about this.
0: No, mine has to be the only right way.
1: <laughs> um, if, if I'm a, if I'm a, there you go. We got our sound effect in finally. Finally. <laughs> um, if I'm a person, and I, and I say this because this has been a little bit of my experience in life. If I'm a person that deals with, say, self-harm, um, and much of that self-harm was born from the perception of god i was taught that was you're not good enough you'll never be good enough you're going to be lucky to go to heaven because you're probably going to hell because you're a sinner and you're a wretched worm those were the messages that were constantly taught to me as a child in the culture i grew up in mm-hmm. which led for my personality now i have friends that it didn't bother them you know for my personality what that did is it caused a lot of damage and a lot of self-abuse and a lot of self-esteem issues that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. So the reason I say that it's, it's really difficult to love something or someone outside of yourself until you reconcile that love within yourself, twofold. Number one, oftentimes God is perceptive of what we're taught about God. So it's this idea that it's like, well, if there's this entity deity being that exists. But our understanding of that entity being is perceptive of what we're taught about that. It's like I use this example all the time. If my village lives in a valley surrounded by mountains and all I'm taught as a kid is don't go to the other side of the mountains because it's darkness and evil and danger. But then I get to the other side of the mountains and I rebel against my family and figure out, whoa, the other side of the mountains is far better than what our little village was. But I had to overcome what I was taught. I had to overcome that perspective that I was gifted, unfortunately. So a lot of times that reconciliation has to happen within in order for me to go, oh, wow, there is something more beautiful about this larger understanding that I have. Because if you were to ask me, do I believe in the God that I was taught as a child? The answer is no. Because the God I was taught of as a child was abusive and angry and and dooming the whole earth and everything else. And there was nothing beautiful about it. But it's more, I don't believe in the perspective I was gifted. And so that conversely comes into, you know, the teaching that is understood is that God lives within So when you think about loving yourself, what are you really learning to do? Love God.
0: Well, I I hear what you're saying. And I think I still have a, like, I think we still disagree a little bit. uh, Because, yes, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, you know, because of that, I have God and Jesus inside me. So I, I agree with that point. But the, the God that you were taught wasn't the true God. You mm-hmm. thought it was the true God, but you didn't have to reconcile into yourself what truth was. Truth had to be revealed to you. And so only God can reveal that truth. And so over time, God revealed his true nature, which you then leaned into learn to love and then in that process i believe that you were also learning to love yourself i think they happen at the same time especially for people like and i didn't have that experience by the way like right i'm really sorry to you and for anyone who (laughs) experienced that as who god is because that's not who god is jesus died for us so that we could be free from sin and Mm -hmm. eternal death like God, Jesus died so that we could have life with God in eternity, not that we'd have separation. And this idea that God's going to punish us and send us to hell for not accepting Him isn't the truth. The truth is that we forfeit that gift and we reject God. It's not that God punishes us. It's uh, it's the individual who chooses not to to follow God. It's not God's punishment on us. Sin was the punishment that man brought on itself. God and Jesus is the hero and the savior of the story.
1: Yeah, and really, um, I want to relate this back to mindset. Yeah, because we got because to really, off. go off. Yeah, and, that, and that's okay. But that that's the beautiful thing about dialogue and conversation is because, you know, r- really what, what we're allowing to play out is empathy and compassion and communication and vulnerability. Yeah. You know, I, I highly I highly doubt you've you've had people come on your show that have that have shared, you know, things similar to what I just shared, but the but the reality of that is um two two things. Number one, the the culture I grew up in was the same culture that millions of people grew right. up in. Yeah. And I also have friends that grew up in a culture similar to you. And we have these conversations, and they're like, wow, I never got that. Here's the other thing, though, that's interesting. And this has to do with mindset in particular, especially from a leadership point of view. There are also people that grew up in the culture I grew up in that didn't come away with what I came away with. And so when we're talking about leadership, what we have to understand is leading from one's humanity really means stepping back and reflecting on what are people taking away from how I'm leading? Um, I often, often yes,
0: because I really liked how you said that leading from one's humanity. And I'm going to point out that Jesus gave up his lordship, his Godship, Mm -hmm. his, his eternal being to take on flesh. Mm -hmm. And to lead from humanity Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so there's Mm -hmm. value in that, right?
0: 100%, it's very (laughs) There's value
1: in that, yeah And so the problem becomes You know, I often joke with my friends That are still in the preaching world I'm like, preaching is the worst form of communication Ever in the history of mankind and the reason I say that is if I've got an audience of 300, and by the way, it's not just preaching, it's speaking in general. But if I've got an audience of 300 people, there are 300 different perspectives on life. There are 300 different aptitudes for learning. There are 300 different personalities. And I'm a, I'm a bit proof of that, that when, that when you stand in front of an audience and you hammer home what you believe is the truth, And then that's a a point that we're not we're gonna save for argument later. But if you whatever you believe is the truth, that 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 this um for those listening, I'm holding up a water bottle that's green, but Evan tells me it's purple. So Evan's truth now is that really green because I see blue. Yeah, it's green actually. It does kind of look blue on screen though, doesn't it? Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) that's kind of the point, right? And so what I tell communicators is and leaders in general is that you have to be very cautious of how you're expressing and communicating because you have all these different personalities that you're dealing with. And it's the same with employees. If I've got a team of 30 people, I've got a team of 30 very different problems, issues, uh, good things, bad things. I've just got a team of 30 different humans. And if I'm gonna be an effective leader and an effective communicator, I need to understand who I'm dealing with, how I need to best deal with them to empower them And to not make them feel like Mitch did when he walked away and all that spiritual teaching he was taught as a kid led to a real life of depression and mental health. And so that actually comes back to that mindset. As a leader, one of the greatest assets you can bring to your group of people, whoever that is, is that idea of reflection. In my book, I actually call it the rule of reflection. And the example I use is when you have to fire someone or someone walks out the door, That's a you problem, not a them problem. Yeah. 99% of the time. And so do I blame the preachers of old for how I am in life? I've never blamed them, but what I would invite people to do is, and if I were, you know, when I do speak, I I'm very cautious on how I frame package and offer things to people because it matters. Words are life and death and i don't think we take that into consideration enough especially when we have a position of influence or a position of communication I think so
0: the power of the tongue therefore choose life
1: yeah yeah that's right and so really i'm glad we got into the conversation we did because that's kind of proof of the perceived perception you were gifted as a child and the perception i was gifted as a child where that takes us and the journey that it leads us to and For anyone listening that are parents, I mean, wow, it's even more powerful. It's like, yeah, Yeah. if I, if I, if I tell my kid that that they're a winner and they're going to be successful and they're going to do great in life, they probably are. But if I tell my kid that, you know, I'm disappointed in them or they didn't act right or whatever, then they're probably going to keep feeding that standard. And so it's, um, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And
0: also just parenting wise, when you make a parenting mistake, just own it. Mm-hmm. Own it that's one
1: hundred percent one hundred percent
0: blessings in my life is owning my mistake yeah. to my son and then having him forgive me yeah. like yeah or when he calls me out <laughs> like, there's when he's, yeah. he's like' he's like you're not being nice to me, you're hurting my feelings <laughs> right. okay, you're right, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? He goes, yes, even if you do it again, I'll always forgive you <laughs> dude, talk about you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to recap this episode before we end and then I'll ask you the three questions I'd like to end with. Yes. You know, so, As we're talking about being valuable as a person and feel free to add in here something that we talked about, you know, learning how to be an independent thinker, being a problem solver, treat others as the hero, walk with humility, learn how to help other people in their struggles, stay relatable, being consistent in who you are with all people and leading from a place of humanity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The one thing I would add is um, continue to grow, Mm. continue to continue to evolve within yourself. Um, I I think that is incredibly underrated in life is um, continuing to grow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Personal growth is huge. Yeah well Mitch man I I thank you so much for coming on to the show today got three three last questions here for you in terms Um, of negative self-talk what do you currently struggle with
1: Ooh, um believing in the success that's happening I talk Mm -hmm. it's easy it's easy to talk yourself out of success Ah. um rather than talking yourself into knowing no this is this is good stuff that's happening
0: yeah yeah, because it's easy to feel like what you have isn't good enough. That's good. Or
1: or that you're not worthy of what you have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What brings you peace? Mm.
1: So I have a book that uh, my daughter bought me when she was in Thailand. And uh, it's a journal. And so this is my mantra journal. So every, you can see I have stuff written down there. For those listening, I'm showing a book. <laughs> um I read, I read my, my mantras every morning and it's just different stuff that I garner from certain places. And yeah, that's kind of my, my stake in the ground every day. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And then last, what is the best decision you've ever made other than your wife, spouse? And...
1: Yeah, let's go. Um, wow. Let me give something that's more applicable daily life. The best decision I would, I would say learning to take care of my health. Um, and when I say health, I don't mean just physical, which I I do. Um, but mental health, you know, mental health, emotional health and spiritual health, and actually learning that those are all different and they take different approaches. Now they do feed into each other. You kind of alluded to it with the story about your father-in-law, you know, when I'm physically healthy, I feel better emotionally, but there are also things I can do to focus on my emotional health or my spiritual health or my mental health and they all relate. But I think there's also um, I think there's also some real value in having a strategy for each, yeah, and not just depending on one to feed the other. And so, really making a, a cognitive decision, an intentional decision, quite a few years ago, to go, no, I'm going to take my health into my own hands. I'm going to get on a workout program. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. I'm going to eat right. I still have days that, you know, Oreos sound great, but for the most part, um, I'm going to work on my mental health. I'm going to surround myself with friends, you know, my couple of you know friends that we text each other. Hey, how you doing? How are you feeling? You know, how's today going? Or on those days that you kind of wake up and, and it's like, man, today's a struggle to have people to reach out to. So having some strategies in place, intentional strategies is it changes the game, man. It changes the game and 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 the thing I would like to say to people on that note is you know we all struggle with stuff, and first of all, there's no reason to be embarrassed by it. We kind of have this culture that it's really embarrassing when we when we do struggle with whatever it is and second of all, you 're not alone you're you're not alone, um, and so don't be afraid to reach out and so that <laughs>
0: Look, I'm going to put this in perspective because there's a lot of things about mental health. Like, in the Bible, there are 365 places where there's peace of heart, peace of mind, peace Mm -hmm. of being. 365, okay? Mm. You don't think God knew that people needed peace in their hearts and their minds? No. So this idea, like... You know, I, I'm a conservative mm-hmm. and one of the things that frustrate me about conservatives is, you know, there's not a lot of empathy for mental health. So like, for example, right. um, right. the gymnast, uh, Gabby, Gabby, mm-hmm. I forgot her last name. Um, amazing gymnast, but she had to yeah. drop out of multiple spots, but yeah. yet people raked her over the coals. Like, well, you're a professional athlete. You should be able to do this. And I'm like, yeah, you don't struggle with this then. Because you don't understand how debilitating it can be. Yeah. And so I say that to say, when we do need peace, when we do need mental strength and help, like you were saying, not only learning strategies, but then also one of my biggest sources for for mental peace is just going to the word of God and learning Mm -hmm. how to be present in that. And in my current situation, not worrying about my past, not worrying about my future, but learning how to be present. So, yeah.
1: And I love that because that that's um, I love the word practice. You know, we often, we often feel like that it should be kind of a, yeah, we don't feel, we don't feel great one day. So we take action one way or the other, and then we feel better and we forget the idea of practice that it's an everyday as often as possible. You know, you're talking about finding that peace, but finding that peace has to be a continual effort and it really relates back to what we talked about earlier. How do we how do we fill ourselves up? How do we, you know, that love that's multi multifaceted? How do we it's that practice? The other thing too yeah. is
0: we have to learn that peace isn't circumstantial. True peace right. is a right of circumstances. And so if yeah. we base our peace off of circumstances, then we'll never truly yeah. have peace. So well, hey, yeah. tell,
1: tell love people, it, Evan. Love it.
0: Tell people where they can follow you at.
1: Uh, yeah, Twitter and Instagram, M. Gray Media, um, G. R. A. Y. On LinkedIn, just look me up, Mitch Gray, and the book is available anywhere you order books. How to hire and keep great people. So, and by the way, in the book, we do spend a little time talking about spirituality in the workplace. So, um, kind of a cool piece. Yeah, piece <laughs> like piece of the book, not piece of heart. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> or both. I guess it could be both. Who knows? <laughs>
0: Mitch, man, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great day and uh, take care.